the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along. We're at episode 494 and very pleased to welcome to the show, Sarah Putt. How are you, Sarah? I'm very well. Kia ora. How's it going? It's going great. Mm-hmm. And a real privilege to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Now, maybe you could fill listeners in, mm. those that don't know you, where you fit into this big wide world of technology in New Zealand. Oh, okay. Well, I have just taken over as editor of CIO, and I've also got Computer World in my remit. So, congratulations! Um, thank you very That's much. That's exciting. It is. It's um, yeah. It's a big. Uh, it's a big role, and a couple of I think very. Um, uh, strong brands in New Zealand in New Zealand technology and of course not new to me uh, because I was computer world editor uh, back in the day yes. um, for about three years about seven years ago so um, in those times some uh, listeners may remember uh, we had a, a, a fortnightly newspaper which we had to fill along with a website and we were putting up like three four stories a day that uh, frequency is probably not, you know, in modern times, but um, definitely going to try to break a few stories, yeah. Well, I still remember Computer mm. World it used to be the uh, the go-to at the bookshop on the way home from school. Oh, nice. Yeah. Many years ago. So it has, a, it has a long and esteemed history in New Zealand. Mm. I would pick it up and I would read it and I would look at these acronyms and words and there would just be things I had no idea what they meant so you know industry inside of things yeah yeah and it's probably for that reason that on my podcast and in my business I try and ban acronyms and try and keep things so nobody's left behind so stop me today if I jump in with something that you think there might be a few people listening that have no idea what Paul's talking about. I will, and do the same to me. <laughs> Acronyms is a funny one because I first came into tech through Telco, through um, an organisation called the Telco Users Association. They've changed their name actually to the Technology Users Association. But I was really stumped by acronyms, and Telco is particularly bad. And the one that always stumps everybody and makes everyone laugh when they realise it's not that complicated is POTS, P-O-T-S, plain old telephone service. So yeah, acronyms are kind of sometimes there because every industry has its own language, but also I think sometimes just to kind of, you know, put a little bit of mystique around it. Mm -hmm. Well, first up, a big thank you, um, first of all, to you for coming on the show, Sarah, and um, to CIO and uh, Computer World for uh, making you available. It's, I mean, it's it's really, I think, an important part of the New Zealand Tech Podcast that we do have, you know, the journalists from the tech sector in New Zealand uh, yeah, coming and, and contributing to the to the show when it fits. Uh, so, you know, I hope this will be something we will be able to do, uh, you know, more than once oh. e- than once every four hundred ninety four episodes. <laughs> exactly. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a special thank to thank you to our show partners: Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Spark, Vocus. HP, Samsung, and Gorilla Technology. So it's, it's great to have those companies who are really standing behind and supporting uh, the technology sector here in New Zealand and to have them also uh, as part of that supporting the New Zealand Tech Podcast and making the show possible. So let's jump in. There are so many exciting things this week. Mm. Uh, 
we were we were watching uh, some of the the keynote presentations from Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference earlier, and for those that are that are uh, you know very keen to get a taste of of what happened, there's a huge amount of coverage online to sort of uh, oh, delve into, as well as watching uh, the the keynote itself. But today we're just going to drill into a few of the things that that caught our attention. Yeah. I think first up, Sarah, and this, I mean, it's it's, it's interesting. Macs, um, you know, the Apple Mac, you know, counts for less than ten percent of you know, computers sold, but it still, you know, holds a, I think, in a you know, really important place within um, within the technology sector, and it's pleasing that Apple have taken the Mac more seriously in recent years. There was a window of time there and listeners will record will recall me bagging Apple for not updating, you know, some of their products and mm. and I think, you know, to me it was a it was a real lack of respect for those uh, you know, dedicated uh, Apple users who had invested in their technology and then would find that Apple might, you know, leave it, you know, however many years before they would update a particular product. And that it's, I mean, it's it's just you know that sort of thing is really at odds uh, with with the whole technology sector and the idea that technology is constantly getting better and better. So pleasing to finally have confirmation from from Apple that mm. they're making this huge change uh, to the the Macintosh ecosystem in terms of the underlying uh, chips that will sit inside of them uh, going forward and. The bit that I haven't seen confirmation on yet, and look, there's been so much to uh, absorb in, in the last few hours, yeah. and both of us have other things to consume as, as well as what's going on with uh, with Apple. So we will fill fill some of these pictures out, and and you know it will be covered in other places. But is the clarity of whether Apple are you know, basically going to have the Intel chips completely gone within two years, but they're talking about a two-year transition. Uh, and look, from a general perspective of somebody that uses a Mac, and there are you know a lot of those people uh, out there. From their perspective, it may not mean a lot that the chip that's inside, because you you don't see it. You really just see the results of the chip. My computer's fast. I've got. You know, great battery life or poor battery life and the last change that they did you know, a decade or so uh, back from the PowerPC chip to the to the Intel uh, chip was all because the Intel chips were doing you know so much better from mm. a performance and, and battery life perspective and now I think the picture's a little bit different with Apple's move to ARM chips. They've, they've heavily invested in that area, aren't they? Because they they bought uh, a chip company, you know, themselves, and they over you know quite a number of years now have been developing you know their own their own uh, custom chips, which is what we see in the iPad and the iPhone and. Even down to, and I, and I don't think these are necessarily the, the the ARM chips that are going to be in the new Macs, but even down to uh, custom chips for the AirPods, you know, they've they've really you know got stuck into a much deeper level in terms of designing and, and creating uh, the innards of the the technologies they've been launching. So it's mm. it's an interesting time to see this announcement mm. and. 
I guess there's so many there's so many aspects and directions we could go. What's the impact going to be on on Intel? What does Intel's future look like? Uh, will they be able to get to those sort of top performance levels, or will this be something where we see the Intel chip still playing an important role for for Apple in the future? It's so interesting that you say that about the chip because it's so humble and yet so integral to everything in technology. And we, I mean, Silicon Valley, for goodness sake, we named this whole thing that we do every day after it and obviously a place as well. I think the chip is really, um, it's it's become an, a more and more understand. It was a little bit overlooked, but now realizing that innovation can then can start at that very tiny point. And that, like you said, you know, it's it's not something you can outsource. It's not something that you can leave to somebody else. Although ironically, they do actually outsource the making of the things, obviously to to these big foundry companies like the one in Taiwan. And I have to the, the TSMC. TSMC. I always forget the the the, the acronym. So Taiwan. Taiwanese Silicon Manufacturing Company, I think is the, because we're not doing acronyms, remember, Paul. We're not Thank you. That. So, um, yeah, so really interesting, just down to the actual making of the thing. And I understand that they were even moving on from Silicon, you know, that's how, how they move how they move so fast. Um, Intel's a really interesting one. You know, if you see Apple moving away, what's Intel going to do? Because it's kind of, it tried to go up the stack. It tried to say we're more than just this little bit of, you know, silicon or whatever it is and what you, the IP that goes on to it. And we, they, they even at one stage, like two years ago, were trying to make, bring smart glasses back. You know, what Google did with, what was it, the glass? Was it glass? Google Glass. Google Glass, yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. And and of course, it just didn't take off. It was one of those techs that may be too soon. Who knows? We'll see. If they, they'll come back again in different guise. Intel's, and I'm doing that and going further up the stack, they've actually hit their customers and they start competing with their customers and their customers go, well, hang on a minute. I don't actually want you to do that. So so it's a really interesting um, progress for them. So hard, kind of hard news for them, but obviously Apple are uh, really getting back to the heart of, of where their development lies. So good, and I agree with you about the Mac. I agree that they did leave it to its side. It wasn't flashy, it wasn't cool, it wasn't what people, and you know, younger uh, listeners may be surprised at this, but even 10 years ago, we were, was it 10, we were lining up for these things, you know, in the middle of the night for these iPhones and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, so that, that it's, um, it's really interesting to see them go back to their core. And look, there is an interesting parallel here with Microsoft. Now, Microsoft mm. have been, in a way, uh, emul trying to emulate some of Apple's success from a hardware perspective. Now, they've done it with some fresh products in terms of the Surface uh, product range, mm. which have now, of course, is actually emulated in, in a way you could say by Apple and, and, and others who have, have been in, inspired in some way by what Microsoft did with the, the Surface product. But I think we, we're talking in the direction of 10 years now since Microsoft have been trying to incorporate ARM chips into computers that run run Windows, mm, mm. and this is has been fascinating to to follow because they just haven't done very well with it. And when you look at Apple, they've gone through this you know quite a number of times. The early Macs that you know I remember as a youngster and the you know, late eighties having a uh, having a Mac at home alongside a PC. 
the Mac was running the was it the Motorola sixty eight thousand series processor, and then you know they recognised you know at a point this isn't going to deliver what we need they transitioned to the power pc uh chips through their through apple's partnership with ibm and and motorola then on to the intel now they're doing it again but they've been pretty successful with those those transitions and i've got to say i just i can't imagine apple having the same struggles that Microsoft has had with with trying to uh, utilize these uh, these arm arm chips at this you know bringing them to the center of what they do on laptops and and desktop computers so it's a heritage thing though isn't it I mean Apple is born in hardware and and in a user experience and one of the reasons why as as a youngster why we all went to apple first and why they retain that loyal loyal core and you talk about technology people being apple fans i think also in the media and design community i mean my the very first computer i ever had any kind of a um you know work with was with the apple uh because it was and it was in a design it was actually working for a computer games magazine in london of all places and um I got this role in actually in advertising, but I had to use this this Apple Mac, and it was it was just it was so easy and so intuitive. And just, the, I, the thing that I always remember is the um, is the rubbish bin on the screen, which I know that sounds like a really simple thing, but just being able to take a document and put it in the trash can, or you know we would call it rubbish bin. Um, and I think as well, like, and but all of that starts at the very at the very core of of, of that hardware, and I think that's where their heritage is you know and that myopic uh, attention to detail that we know is in their dna and i think that's what you're talking about when you talk about i'd like i see that they managed to make those big technology leaps because it's in their dna and we we forget that about companies Mm. sometimes i think there's also something to be said for their application sort of broader ecosystem is more compact than what Microsoft are, are dealing with, They've, right? Oh, absolutely. So it makes it a lot easier. And of course, they put the pressure on the big players and they're very they're very good at doing this. They've already got uh, Microsoft and Adobe, who would be the two big software vendors who, who uh, you know, if you use a Mac, then most likely you're running you know, Apple software plus yeah, something from Microsoft or Adobe or both, among amongst other things, and they've got their own, you know, app store. Uh, I guess you know the way that the the apps are, are generally written and compiled means it's reasonably easy for them to to switch that underlying, um, and, you know, chip and and. And away they'll go. Away they'll go. And also, when you think about it, just thinking about those percentages, if you've got 15 percent of the hardware of the Mac you know the PC market then you've got um, they've only got about 15-20% and these are just sort of common around about figures I kind of got the latest um, but again it's 15% but what are 15% top end of the market um, you know hugely profitable I'm talking about the iPhone here yep. the smartphone market you know it's just it's it's absolutely always and that's what gives them their power and their closed ecosystem as well the fact that they do keep it very tight mm, they've mm. only had to occasionally concede to the other big uh, technology players in order to get their applications or whatever onto their phones when they know they can't do it. And Maps is one that springs to my mind where they didn't 
they didn't get it. They had mm. to go back to yeah. to to, um, to what, what Google Re- does. recommending Google yeah, Maps. They just couldn't. Yeah. They couldn't do yeah. it themselves. Yeah. Um, and do we want technology companies that can do everything that want to do everything? Uh, no. I think it's important to have variety. Interesting, you say about um, apps. I just read somewhere actually that they review over a hundred thousand apps a week. That's wow. how much is coming through that store. Pretty amazing. And you, they're taking You've got to automate their process, don't well, you? Well, you do. Well, you know, they're, they're all taking 30% cut on every on every one. So, you know, it's it's a pretty good business model. Mm. One that's mm. a little bit under under the uh, microscope at the moment. People are looking at it and saying, you know, 30% uh, take or margin on every app that goes through. Uh, mm, it's, a, it's an interesting one. There's some challenges there too. Yeah, yeah. Now it's it seems like Apple are reasonably well down the track on this. So you know, later this year, mm-hmm. we will uh, we will see the the first of the new Macs. They're talking again as with their last transition. I think about a two a two year transition window. There will be new Intel Macs coming out in the shorter term. But I've just had a look online, and I'm not seeing I'm not seeing anything that. Uh, gives complete clarity but it does seem as though that would be a that would probably be a complete switch so the the intel um, max will will disappear but i'm sure they can they can change that strategy as as they wish if it's not working accordingly they can maybe adjust it but i would imagine as they start releasing products software vendors especially when the big players are supporting the um, uh, chips means that the smaller players will, in a lot of cases, will just come along for uh, that journey. And they've also got a uh, compatibility capability as well. So, you know, we will see those Intel uh, apps still be able to run through the what they're calling Rosetta 2, which was one of their one of their sort of linchpins when they transitioned to the Rosetta technology that that allowed them to run the old apps when they went to the new the new chips mm. which yeah usually just wouldn't wouldn't work so well yeah. technology transitions are always interesting <laughs> yes so this will be a fun one to follow and yep. just to see how how they ultimately end up in terms of you know, the, if it's a lot better battery life if it's better performance this well, allows them to sort of change the the playing field as far as competing with windows especially right with what microsoft are doing mm. if they can bring to market the fastest computers the better battery life take it away uh, for a week and lighter you have to plug it in imagine that imagine that that would that would be insane Just right but, a day can be but, hard, but, but yes, eventually exactly. you imagine we will get to to that sort of uh, you know poss- possibility and then they're also as as part of this there becomes the ability on the mac to be able to run your iPhone and iPad applications, you know, for for a number of reasons, but partly because you're running effectively the the same, maybe a a more powerful version of the chip that sits in your iPad or your iPhone, Mm. which then brings us to, which Apple haven't talked about, but we've talked about it on the New Zealand Tech Podcast before, the sort of coming together of the Macintosh operating system with the iPhone and will we finally get touchscreen Macs? Come on, Apple. <laughs> Not that it's 
it's a, a killer thing at the moment but when you know so many windows machines and and you know i've got one on my lap uh at the moment sorry the mac's at home today uh but being able to just scroll through what's on the screen with my finger is I mean, it's just something we take for granted, and then you, you put do. your Mac you in front of you, and it and it doesn't doesn't do it. So you've got to imagine. Surely, this this window of time is when we'll see a touchscreen well, Mac. Do you think, or or do you think that will never happen? Oh well, you know, they say <laughs> we're never going to do it for all sorts of reasons, and then suddenly they do it. It's always amusing to see a PC user though when they've got a Mac in front of them, do that. And, it's, and you think, oh, yeah, you kind of Re- know. Yeah, do reach that. out and try and t- we touch don't, that we screen. We don't do that in yeah. But you get very used to that sort of functionality. And you've got to say to yourself, would would that be in the roadmap? But what but what, what do you prioritise? I mean, what do you sit there and say, what what are, what are users expecting? What do they really want? What's the, what's the um, you know, there's always got to be a... Um, you know, what 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 do we prioritise? What is the payback? What is the compromise? If we don't do this, what do we do? You know, those must be fascinating conversations. And I and I think What's within gonna, within Apple, they're down? looking at to say, well, of course we could make our Max touchscreen tomorrow, but on the flip side, what doesn't work with with a touchscreen, right? And and your and even today, Windows, which has been built to be touchscreen, there's a lot of things that don't work very well with the touch but there are those simple things of you know signing a document zooming scrolling and so on um, but they're not they're probably not big enough for a lot of people that it makes that much difference but for some yes so let's see how it goes and will we have it will we have an ipad that then runs mac applications as well see that that would be compelling and you imagine the ipad pro will have enough power and so on so if mac operating system can run ipad iphone apps well why wouldn't the the ipad at least at the top end with the ipad pro be able to run some of your Mac apps. That that, that seems to make some sense, right? Mm. Especially mm. now, and and maybe you see these dots being joined up. Oh yeah, iPad OS now supports a mouse and a keyboard, and, and so on, right? Yep. So yep. It, it 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 seems like we will see that come together. So interesting times ahead. Now also on the uh, the Apple front, and there were lots mm. of little bits and pieces. Mm. Uh, iPad OS with a stylus, which of course Apple called the Apple Pencil. Yes. Allowing you to again, and just talking about that, just to go back, that was something that was never going to happen. It suddenly it did. That's true. That's true. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the change there is that you would be able to use your Apple Pencil to say fill in a a form or to fill in information to scribble. You know, basically where you've got a text box for entry, you will be able to use your stylus and then it will convert that into text as though you would you'd actually typed it in on the virtual keyboard or physical physical keyboard. Now I don't know yet exactly how well that will work, what scenarios it does and doesn't work in, but that seems nice and we haven't um, yeah, we have we haven't seen too too much of that just yet with it with our styluses. No, and I but I do feel it's one of those things that people don't think that they want until they have it. Like they don't then they go, Oh, that was nice to use or that was easy or they see someone else do it and they go, Did you know you can do this? And then they like it. But it doesn't necessarily sell a product, you know. But one of the nice things I think is is nice about the app 
Mac and what we saw in the conference in the developers conference today interestingly of course without a without a live audience starts with Tim Cook if anyone wants to have a look through starts with him with the, with his back to the audience which is empty obviously because of the lockdown over there or the COVID experience but what we what you saw right through the whole presentation was all these little gems that just make you go oh that's what's so nice that's what's so good about um about this business about this company it kind of understands those little human things whether it's making a little um what was it what do they call them emojis like your own little one with a little you know mask for um you know for the pandemic you know little masks yeah, so you yeah. don't get the, the disease, little virtual you little yeah. virtual you um to things like a little timer when you wash your hands you know because so you don't have to sing abc anymore you know it's it's those sorts of little touches which i think have always set this business apart um but um interesting because you're quite an apple fan yourself uh, aren't you you know i i can switch and i you know i i can go from from, from either operating system doesn't it's kind of I, whatever is the ecosystem in which I'm working in, I'm pretty much happy to switch. But I guess from choice, I'll go Apple just because uh, I know it and I like it and I like the little things about it. And I think that's what it gets that the other, that Microsoft and never really understood. It was always, I always feel like Microsoft is broccoli without cheese sauce. <laughs> and and Apple always understood that the cheese sauce is kind of some of the things that'll hook you in, uh, and we saw it in that lovely presentation today. Yes, no live audience, no clapping on demand, but lots of really flash, simple ideas. Um, one I noticed that you were quite interested in was the Apple Watch and the fact that you could it will now um, take down all your vital data while you sleep. Yes, well that's that's an interesting one mm. and. The reason being is that others have been doing yeah. sleep tracking for a number of years. I'm, I've been testing, and so I'm I'm looking like a real geek today. I'm holding two <laughs> like two smartwatches. Yeah, um, yeah. I've got the withings on my other wrist, and that's been you know, going on. It's it's um, you know just got a standard watch battery in it. You don't charge it when your battery runs out every. You know, they say a year. My guess, from what I've I've read, is probably three to six months. But yeah, you've got that that sort of crossover, you know, in features now, and that's finally arrived, kind of in the in the Apple world. But of course, if Apple had launched that too early, because their battery life is has been you know quite short mm, on the Apple mm, Watch, mm. that might not have played out too well but it does seem they're rolling that feature and i think back to the um apple watch sort of series three onwards so three four and 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 five so yeah that i i like that sort of feature i also quite like the way they they um you know tie in not just timing how your sleep goes but they've they're building in these elements around you know helping you wind down encouraging you look you've you've sort of set a little bit of a deadline of when you when you like to sleep or you know it monitors it and comes up with these you know sleep windows because uh, I can I can be someone that maybe doesn't get enough so mm. you know a little bit of a prompt uh, you know, pu pushing me. Yeah. It's not not always not always a bad thing. Yeah. So if you watch, if you do watch the the um, presentation, the um, it's shown that the watch uh, fades. So say you've set ten o'clock at night for your bedtime, the watch fades. Uh, it goes into sleep mode. It has an alarm, and if you you know 
you, if you don't want to have a sound, it has a sort of a restful way of waking you up, or it says, and you know you can put it on, um, you know, so without the sound, so you don't disturb if you're, you know, just gives you that haptic else. feedback. Yeah, just that yeah. little haptic feedback, exactly. Now, and then as you sleep, you can wake up in the morning, and people who've got Fitbits and other watch, uh, smart watches will have this feature already uh, that will show when you woke and when you slept. Now, I'm the kind of person who doesn't want that in my life. I just kind of feel like 12 hours a day, you probably need to go tech free. As much as I love technology and find it fascinating and everything else, I just need to put it aside. I'm shocked. I know you are. And you're going to be even more shocked when I say that I'm actually um, investing in records now. I got my record player out at lockdown and I just love the idea that I can put my record on and I can listen to it and there's no data collected. Nobody somewhere in some big systems putting where what what I'm listening to for how long and where just I'm unplug skipping. your Alexa just, or make sure you yeah, don't have any of those things I or or an Apple device or something out. Or, I mean, you've got to clear the decks or any any device that sort of has some sort of the some sort of listing. I mean, look, App, Apple uh, to be yeah fair on that side have yeah, continued oh. to to really lean in the direction of 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 privacy, and I think you know. It's it's fair to say they are working to be the leaders from that perspective. Oh, and no, no. And today was yeah. another you know example in terms of some some of their um, some of their things. One bit that stood out to me was around sharing your location and uh, the. And I'm sure there's, there's other websites that do it, but the one I always seem to notice, and I move around lots and lots of devices, but I go to the New Zealand the New Zealand Herald website. And it wants my location, and I'm thinking you do not need to know my location. You get enough off my, you know, yeah. probably IP address, totally. which you can get anyway. Mm. Uh, but I, and there are some other apps where you probably do want to give a general location, but why do you need to pinpoint your exact GPS location? I mean, the sort of things that. Uh, a publisher or anybody else could do with that information suddenly they've got your address a few little bits and pieces of information they join it together and and do whatever some of it might be good but just i'm not super comfortable with that so i like apple's approach of having this well we'll give a if you prefer we'll give a more general location yeah. and you know somewhat randomized within a however many kilometer radius i'm not quite sure how they do it but that i'd be a lot more comfortable with that as a sort of in-between point because there are lots of apps that do for whatever reason need to know a bit about your location yes and i i accept that but i don't really want them to know where I am within a, you know, within whatever it is these days, fifteen centimeters or fifty <laughs> centimeters, whatever the GPS well, you know gives them. Like, why is that needed? And that is, you're absolutely right. And I find it interesting that in the in the presentation in the in the conference today, they actually brought the privacy stuff up after the sleep data stuff. So obviously, people were probably thinking, oh, you know, where's that going to go? And and they have they have actually put so much of their um, I, I don't want to say marketing it's more than marketing so much of their philosophy around privacy and you know like the, the CES the Consumer Electronics Show at the beginning of the year they, they famously never attend but they had this massive billboard it's all about privacy I can't remember what the tagline was but yeah. it was about the privacy and I think that's a really important um, it's one of the reasons actually why I do like and stick with that ecosystem I know that there's a lot of um, issues uh, that that you know I'm not one that generally wants to sort of put my hand up for a monopoly but I like 
I like that idea that I feel that they have sort of fought on the encryption front. I mean, Tim Cook, their CEO, has come under so much pressure, um, you know, in many, many circumstances around um, awful terrorist attacks. Um, I'm thinking the San Bernardino one is one that springs to my mind. Uh, no, we're not going to encrypt. No, we're not going to put so-called back doors. No, we're not going to do anything like that because we believe in the right to people's privacy. So it's a very interesting debate, and I do also feel like, as 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 citizens of 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 2020, where technology is so prevalent, we yes we need lawmakers, yes we need technology makers, but even as citizens ourselves, we have to think a little bit more about our own privacy and what we're giving away, and whether we want to do that, and what our children are giving away as well. If you know, but we can't just pretend ignorance. I'm guilty of it as everybody else's T's and C's. Yeah, just get me the app. Just get me to take the you box know? when you're installing an app. Yeah, it was nice. Nice to see that when so you're installing. Nice, yeah. yeah, those that, those mobile apps. Uh, That's the uh, thing. Yeah, the iPad OS apps. You're going to see some information about a bit more rather than just that it's accessing your location. What Why what is it what doing what that? you know what does that yeah. uh, you know what does that mean? Well, it's accessing your. Uh, you know, your, it's going to store your contacts or what have you. So I haven't delved deep into that, no. but I'm really interested to see, yeah. yeah, to see yeah. a little bit more about how that will actually play out. And anything that I think keeps app developers honest and accountable. We've seen those issues in the past. Um, what was I'm trying to think? What the re- most recent app? Um, that I ins- House Party, right? You install yes. House Party, it wants access to all your contacts. What are they going to do with all of my contacts, right? Mm. They're going to sync all of those contacts up to their cloud and do whatever. What if I've got, and you know, I have been guilty of this in, in the past, um, I'm usually a bit um, better in, in more recent years, but before we had sort of, you know, password lockers and so on. You, oh, yeah, I'll just put a little pin number there in a contact or, you know, so, something that is, is, is slightly confidential. And I wouldn't do that these days, but the little bits and pieces you'd put, oh, this is, you know, Air New Zealand, here's my, uh, here's my, I don't know, um, ID number to log into AirPoints or something, you know, put some of those sort of notes. I mean, all of this started... <laughs> Just getting sucked it up totally into is. you know, and yeah. yeah. into their uh, cloud. So a little bit more knowledge on what's actually happening. That's all. That's all good. Good yes. by me. Now we're probably out of time on Apple. Uh, there were two last things just to mention very quickly. Uh, Mac OS X Big Sur S U R is the new uh, version. That's obviously the underlying updates so that will run on um, the ARM based Macs as well as Intel based Macs there's going to be lots and lots of mostly design type things and I'll spend more time looking into that but it, it does look as though they're, they're making an, uh, you know, a real effort to sort of you know freshen up uh, Mac OS X uh, and then on the maps front there seems to be a bunch of uh, changes, oh, some new routings for uh, cyclists, although very limited locations at this stage, so I didn't see any sign of New Zealand or even Australia yeah. on the map. Uh, and then also EV routing, so those with electric vehicles, uh, so like, like myself, then yeah, so you, well, you could say, well, I want to travel from Auckland to Wellington, say, and it's going to 
give you some direction on on what your what your options are so you can stop and charge accordingly along the way now there's a bit of smarts required to that so presumably they will need to get a bit of data around what you know what vehicle you're driving and so on the other bit that i guess loosely linked with that is this um apple what are they calling it car key uh, basically, yeah. where basically your your phone will be able to get you uh, into your car. Now, it seems like the 2021 uh, BMW 5 Series is, is the it's first that will have yeah. that. I've I've seen some few things. This has been talked about over the in in recent weeks, and people wondering whether uh, Tesla are going to come to you know fit in and use that technology. Not sure. I mean, it already uses your phone anyway, whether it's uh, Apple or an Android to uh, to get into the vehicle. So not necessarily a big deal, but it will be yeah, just interesting to see who who comes into line with that. But uh, I would Im- imagine they'll get some uh, pretty quick adoption on on that with newer vehicles. And I think as well, like, we don't really think about technology and climate and climate change because you know there's a lot there's a lot that technology has at fault there. But just pushing, pushing, pushing towards EVs, pushing towards cycling and biking mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things, pushing towards a more sustainable lifestyle, making the phone the centre of everything. I think it's a very interesting um, move and in a way and in in an examination of how tech can change behaviours, buying behaviours outside of the traditional tech kind of ecosystem. Mm. So very interesting to see that. And um it's always a hard one, isn't it? Because we do live so far away. Uh, we're not on top of the roadmap. With, um, five, our, yeah, our little team of five million isn't going to be <laughs> what they think about first, of course. Although Facebook, you know, famously uses us as a petri dish. So, uh, but I don't think Apple does. I've not ever seen that read anywhere. So we did that anywhere. Although it's fair to say that we're good, these we're good days Apple do tend to put New Zealand. They on an equal to. on an equal footing when they launch That's true. most of their products, they launch they launch concurrently in New Zealand. Yeah, and because of time zones and so on, often they effectively will launch first in New Zealand anywhere anywhere in the world. And there were one or two times where they didn't, and you know, I made it known. I thought that was a disappointing <laughs> step back. Uh, I'm not it's sure if they were if they were if they were listening on that occasion. Yeah. Um, oh, sometimes we been. sometimes the New Zealand Tech Podcast has influence. I'm not sure You've that, got to put uh, it out that, there. that that's quite big enough to um, our our reach is quite big enough to make major waves in Cupertino. But you know, never say never. All right, so that was that's most of the Apple things. Yes few other things I'm keen to chat through this week as well okay TikTok ah tell me what's happening in the world of oh, of TikTok it was for the, look we have li- we have listeners of all uh, political persuasions yes. uh, but I think there were a fair few people seeing the media coverage of uh, Trump's rally over the weekend and seeing it very empty after he had boasted that a million people wanted to attend um yeah probably found a a few few, uh haters having a having a good laugh which i think in new zealand the the stats are probably that there's uh there's 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 a lot more here that that aren't fans than are but um tell us about the role of tiktok well well tiktok is this uh as as we all should really know by now is a social platform obviously for 
well, you probably don't know much about it unless you're a teenager under 25 or you have teenagers living in your house. Um, it's a kind of, it's something that sort of snuck up on everybody. Uh, you know, um, it's just, this, it's probably the biggest uh, in terms of uh, getting people on board, the fastest growing app ever, really. I mean, it's t- it took well, about... Well, so, so, sort 10, of. Where it took Facebook 10 years, it yes. took them like a year, you know. Yeah, because they were previously known as Musical.ly, and I remember somebody yeah. saying, uh, telling me maybe, I don't know, four... Yeah, quite a number of years ago. Oh, this is the you know this is this is the this is the next big but thing. But it wasn't until they and it did it did take quite some time before it all sort of you know came together. But uh, yeah, it has accelerated very very quickly, well, hasn't it? Well, to a certain extent, it's also some things like we talked a little bit about glass before. It's some things just happen a little bit too early, and I think it was Vine. Was that was the was it the Twitter version that they had bought? So it was like six second videos. So TikTok's big thing is it's 15 second videos. Yeah. And although I understand that you can actually put a whole bunch together and make it a little bit longer uh, and make it a minute, which is uh, super fast anyway. Um, and so TikTok, like you point out, was musically and then it got changed to TikTok. And I think they have their owners and are in. Um, China, so that's always an interesting controversy in America, uh, and that whole kind of America versus China geopolitical situation, which tech often finds itself in the middle of. Um, but anyway, that is that aside. Um, it's just it's just been I've been watching it for like the last year. I don't go on it because I'm over 25, and I read in the Guardian that that's creepy if you go over it when you, if you oh, don't have really? any connection. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be creepy. Oh, that's so, so funny. Um, but that was about six months ago when it wasn't quite as relevant. Uh, you're everyone's on it now. Everyone's right. I mean, on it all, now. There's, there's all sorts. Well, apparently they did some studies around in Britain and Spain and the US. And whilst that's not representative global, I think we could probably see the same behaviour here. Um, young people, age four to fourteen, around about that age, they were spending something like eighty minutes a day on this thing. They're also spending eighty-five minutes on YouTube. So this is lockdown; they haven't got anything else to do, presumably. But I can't imagine watching eighty minutes of 50, fifteen-second videos. What does that do to the brain for a start? <laughs> but anyway, that aside, there's a, there's a scientific study yeah, that needs oh, to be I had. Yeah, I think someone's got to be doing their PhD on that. Um, <laughs> but they've got. Um, what they did on the weekend, the, the, the sort of the news, if you like, is this, um, they all went on um, and registered to attend uh, the Trump's uh, Tulsa rally. And they all came Who, in. Who's they? Who uh, registered? So the TikTok uh, users and K-pop. So they got together as an alliance and they registered. And so the aides were saying to the president, you know, to, to Trump, hey, you know, you're going to get about a million people. He was <laughs> sharing this. And then, of course, there were empty seats. And I, mean, I think it was, yeah, very small amounts of people. 16,000, I, 16, I think, was, 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 was oh, Maybe that was the capacity of the stadium. Yeah, I think it was um, six. Anyway, there were, there were sure. a lot of gaps in, in the footage that seats. I saw. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, um, and it was a really great example of they all basically um, galvanised their group, the, the group on TikTok, to do this, to go and register and then not show up. Mm. Uh, a fantastic example of the power of that particular platform to, to make change in real life. I mean, it used to be that you'd go and do, ah, oh, now you, those, remember those, um, I think people saw them, they do those instant, you all have to get together and you do like instant dancing or what was it called? And you do, 
you'd, you'd organize these things online and then you'd go and you, everyone would, like a crowd crashing thing. Yeah, Sorry, I haven't yeah, got the word. I'm, it I'm, I'm trying me. to remember the word, word as well. It. Crowd was part of yeah, it. Yeah, crowd crowd was part of it. So yeah. somebody out there is yelling at, the pod, at their um, phone right now going... <laughs> the actual word um so apologies for not coming for not coming up with that one but but now we're actually got a social media where people are actually um working together to not attend something Mm. um to embarrass a president to to change you know the narrative almost in in the or to insert themselves into the narrative of this fascinating u.s political election from a from a, a, a social media network which is all about or started being and is still really is about dancing for 15 seconds and lip syncing and well it's not lip syncing it's interpreting different types of music it's incredibly creative TikTok Uh, it's what's fascinating about it is you you might think if I wanted to create an app or whatever that was in the entertainment business, I would curate entertainment from you know Hollywood, all these places. The business model is all predicated on um, you know uh, the, the channel and having restriction and, and all about scarcity. There's, people can't watch many channels, so we curate, curate the content. We create content that we think will sell. This is this is a business model in abundance. It's just masses and millions and millions and millions of little videos and what is good and what is exciting and what creates, gets the zeitgeist, comes to the top, goes viral. It's just such a fascinating change in the way people are accepting their entertainment. I despair, really, I have to say, for the broadcasters when I see something like TikTok gra- so much grab the imagination yeah, yeah. of our young people. <laughs> I think if they're growing up watching 80 minutes of 15-second videos a day, they ain't never going to be turning on one, two, three, four, whatever it is, you know. They're just yeah, not going to yeah. go there, are they? Oh, fascinating times ahead. Mm, yeah. Mm. Well, very, very interesting to see. And it, it just shows the way that technology disrupts everything. Mm. And, you know, certainly Egon. Um, Egon Trump's. Donald Trump's uh, face on this one. And, yeah. and yeah. But uh, now, another area that's been uh, getting disrupted by the latest technology has been uh, getting things into space and yes, rocket lab rocket here lab, in, in new zealand lab. so while well, it's we rocket, like la- rocket lab usa as they call it now which i guess is for varying reasons of mm. where the funds are and their hq is is, yeah. is now in uh, california and you know nasa is a client so there's all these reasons why it's not rocket lab new zealand uh, never mind uh, they're still doing all it of it like all of their launches great. so far have been from new zealand although that will that will be changing yeah. in the not too distant future Uh, but it was very pleasing to see that they're effectively a three-week turnaround from the last launch that they've just just had uh, to the next one which is you know really ramping up and you know we heard about this idea that they you know that they could be launching every every three days well you know that sort of thing hey you know every 21 days that's and and not that they're going to be necessarily constantly be on that cycle but the fact that they're they're able to uh they've got the two launch pads uh now in um uh, new zealand which is you know great right next to each other they've got the you know the u.s one 
uh, coming on stream. I mean, they really are going from from strength to strength, and it's just. It's impressive, actually. I was uh, you know, looking at some of the SpaceX info on their mm-hmm. their first mm-hmm. launches, and uh, this was it was an interview with Elon Musk that I was um, listening to. And it was some some years ago, and at that stage, I think they had had they'd had three launches, and at that stage, they hadn't actually managed to get into orbit. Now. Rocket Lab, their their first, uh, you know, launch their first, uh, you know, launch the Electron. It did go haywire. They didn't manage to get into orbit. They learned some lessons there about trusting third parties, a third party that let them down. Mm. But that was it. That was that that was sort of the failure as far as it's, you know, and, and that was a that was a you know a, their first test launch. They you know, um, and from then on. You know, everything's gone in- incredibly well. Well, I think that was about two years ago from memory, and we did it's all sort of moving hold on so and, quickly, and, isn't um, it? You know, I think the business is only 13, 14, 15 years old. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's pretty young, and mm. it's. I've, I think we claim it because for two reasons. One is that um, we didn't have a space industry before Rocket Lab, and one of the great unique. I, things that we have in New Zealand is our isolation, you know, the tyranny of distance and all of that. Yes. And half the time it's a really bad thing and half the time it's a really good thing. And when it comes to launching rockets, I think it's a good thing. I once saw Peter Beck, the CEO, speak and he talked about he couldn't understand why New Zealanders got so upset when startups got sold overseas and all of that. He said, you know, you should only be located where it makes sense. And it makes sense for them to be out in the Mahia Peninsula because, yeah, there's no one else around. And so it's not that crowded. So that's good. And we have seen, like, you know, shoot, green shoots of the space industry, especially in the South Island. Yeah. Um, and some fantastic conditions that, and also not just um, conditions in terms of the, the landscape or the skyscape that's mm, not the right mm, word is it mm. but but you know that kind of the night sky the unpolluted um, areas that we've got at the moment um, that is that is, is and a bit also the smarts I mean you've got um, fantastic universities like Canterbury University located close, close by mm, we mm. all know that you know and I'm going to be really parochial here and say New Zealanders are pretty clever so there's a lot a lot of um, a lot of good talent coming out that can be used but you know, like you say, it's mostly owned by the Americans now. The the Rocket Lab US. It is it is you know dealing with the American military, um, understand um, allegedly, and the in NASA and all these other places. Um, and that's going that's bringing some spotlight on it as well because people are saying, well, what? Who are you working for? And what are you doing into space? You know. And there's an interesting. Um, um, article actually on Radio New Zealand today which talks about this very very thing what is coming what are we allowing into space from our own country and what does that look like some really interesting questions now my understanding is that you have that they have to, every time they put a launch a satellite into space they have to get approval from MB from the Ministry of Business and Innovation so they have to go through that process but how much they can say and how little who knows and um, yeah so some interesting questions being uh, there is and that will be solved for mm. them in many ways very soon if we say as New Zealand you know, like like we have with nuclear free and, and other things like look this is what's going to be allowed to launch from New Zealand yes 
they're just yeah, presumably they would be able to launch those those missions that don't fit New Zealand. They could launch them from the US anyway. Absolutely. New Zealand would miss out on the revenue. They would still get there, um, but we might you know we might feel as though we've we've made our sort of you know pushback against certain things. Although. I think it's it's probably really hard to know exactly how all of these things are, are going to get used, and I'm not sure whether that's part of putting. Th- I think you know secrecy is is probably quite a common thing to be around. You know, certain things going up into space, but well, yeah. you know, I mean, having read and listened to that piece, mm. I would have to say that um, you know, there's some very good points. The, everything we can't always go. Oh, it's from the military. It must be bad things. So much innovation comes from the military. So much innovation comes from that space. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what we're doing today. You know, our iPhones. Everything you know, is is from so much of that technology that was created there. So, and I agree by having the American launch pad. Uh, in complement with what New Zealand is uh, will make a difference and it shouldn't be all or nothing it's not absolutes we don't live in a world of absolutes I'm sure there can be discussions it's important to have those discussions though it's important that we think about what we as a country represent and what we want the businesses that are so powerful I mean fancy having a space industry in New Zealand and which could change the, um, the way that you know all that development happens, and and also the the, the ripple effects, like we, I talked about before, with what's going on in the South Island and and all the different um, technologies that are happening. We just we just we're a country that's an open liberal democracy. We just want to know a little bit what's going on, and we want to have have some belief that it aligns to our values as a nation. Agreed. And that's really yeah. important too. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how it tracks. The next exciting thing on the radar, and Rocket Lab have started sharing a little bit about this, is their mission to the moon, which mm. is ne- next year. Uh, you know, working in, in partnership with, with NASA. I was just mind-blowing to, th- to think, especially after all these years, there hasn't really been Nothing. much activity yeah. as far yeah, as totally. the moon's concerned. And then, you know, little old New Zealand is going to, in, in some way, uh, you know, be, be well, in a, in a great way, be involved in that. So there's a lot, a lot to follow. I mean, certainly if you're interested in that, then it, it's worth delving into a little bit more. We don't, you know, have the capacity to, to delve into that side uh, today. Uh, but certainly it's mm-hmm. been a privilege to have Peter Beck on uh, the New Zealand Tech Podcast a, a number of times. If you're interested in hearing that, you know, his story, uh, then look that up on the New Zealand Business Podcast. I mean, it's just fascinating hearing uh, oh, his, his his journey. He's, uh, you know, incredible and you know I think an inspiration for you know for for so many of us he he should be and I think what we we as a nation need to do is to have more Peter Becks right more people in all the given areas so look we've got you know our our Peter Beck you know and getting into space but that should be possible across so so many other so many other areas now we um, need to move on because we've got a couple of things we wanted to cover before we um, finish uh, mm, I'm just thinking around time here. New Zealand police freezing $140 million in uh, funds uh, that, that appear to be uh, linked back to a, uh, a crypto 
exchange and apparently linked to to cybercrime. I mean, this is a really big number. You know, it's completely you know out of the ordinary. You know, since the laws came into place in in New Zealand, allowing you know funds to be freezed or you know funds mm. to be you know t- uh, you know taken uh, as as they are from um, you know criminals and in, in varying situations. I mean, we've had you know nothing of this sort of scale. Uh, just you know, fascinating to hear hear about that. Absolutely, it's really interesting how um, and, and and to think again tentacles all the way back here is something out of a sort of a, a John Le Carre novel or something like that. Um, but really interesting. Um, obviously, that's the whole cryptocurrency, how it's being used in places and for ransomware and other um, you know activities like that and of course we've seen a massive rise in um, big companies getting uh, stung during mm-hmm. during the lockdown because of the um, you know taking advantage of the pandemic and, and the people and just everybody eye on something else um, remote working all of that and we've seen some really big companies actually be named in the media which is very highly unusual I mean usually mm-hmm. when these sorts of things happen they're kept very much quiet and you know be, from, from the point of view that a you don't want copycat and b it's just really not it's not something you want to be talking about mm, if you've mm. been stung by this stuff so an interesting and more hopefully more will come to light about this uh this i guess bust is that what you say for want of a better word or yeah well it, yeah. it um it it ties back to uh canton business corporation and owner uh alexander vinnick and uh yeah he was behind uh btc Dash E, which was a uh, cryptocurrency uh, trading platform uh, based in the US, founded in 2011, uh, and then um, I think it ran through to 2017. It handled quite a, you know, quite a lot. I think it was something like uh, what do we see, three percent of all uh, Bitcoin, you know, uh, exchange sort of transactions. Uh, Ran ran through the platform, and you were able to trade in you know a range of different uh, currencies and uh, crypt, you know, um, you know traditional currencies uh, as well as crypto currencies. But it uh, it was uh, I think shut down in um, in twenty twenty seventeen, and uh, yeah, apparently. Um, yeah, a little, a little bit of a, a shambles, um, and uh, the the founder uh, was charged, and so on, and and now they're going after him on money laundering and and varying other um, crimes. So, uh, yes, it will be it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Does New Zealand end up with $140 million in our, in our uh, pocket off that one? I don't know how they handle, you know, redistributing these sorts of oh, funds. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, it would be quite fascinating to uh, to have the, the inside word on that. And, and no doubt we'll hear some of the stories come out uh, in the future. Now, lastly... Uh, well, we, I was going to touch on sort of chorus and some of their pricing uh, adjustments and things that they've got going on, but I, I don't think we're at, we've got time to sort of delve into that. Uh, but Netflix, I thought this it was just very interesting to read uh, to read about them hiring in Australia a local originals team. Yes, yes. And yeah, this this to me was was interesting because we we look at Netflix 
it's all this, you know, US Hollywood content that they're creating, but actually Netflix, you know, potentially could be producing content, you know, local content on the ground in New Zealand. Obviously, you know, we're seeing Amazon, you know, do production here, which of course anybody in the world can yeah. come and do production here. But um, the idea that Netflix might do some, you know, some really good local local content that actually, uh, you know, supports uh, New Zealanders with that with that relevant content that certainly seems to be what's going on in Australia they're investing locally and and in some ways um, you know this is the, you know there's that fear when the big multinationals uh, you know come and dominate in these varying fields that we lose out on those local elements and I think you know when we look to what's going to happen if Sky uh, you know get knocked out from broadcasting sport in New Zealand if Amazon comes into the country does that mean you know any opportunity for more grassroots uh, you know sport broadcasting would you know completely disappear but you know this is maybe maybe suggesting that uh, Amazon uh, sorry, uh, Netflix. Netflix yeah. You know, are 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 really you know interested in and in, you know doing good locally relevant content that they might not be able to really sell anywhere else in the world. Well, I'm not sure if you can not sell something else in the world. I think That's diversity tr- of content is yeah. really important, and maybe um, just scrolling through what is already out there and the 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 tenth you know superhero movie and stuff. Maybe they're looking for new stories. Mm, There's. Mm. From that perspective, um, also it's it's a, if you know a, a nation's ability to create its own culture and express that in things like you know art and um, film is really really important. And up until now, we've seen it coming through the terrestrial broadcasting and all of that. So it would be very interesting to see if they sort out Maori stories here. Somebody asked me the other day, actually, we were talking about the digital divide, and they said to me, "What do you think the opportunity is for Maori?" I obviously, as a Pakeha, can't comment or can't. Always, my my role is to is to it's is to make room, and I would never want to comment on behalf. But what I see the opportunity for Maori is not just to um, is to take their culture and bring it out into the world. Why leave it with a small country like New Zealand? Why not share the beauty of that culture and that language with the whole world? So if a Netflix appears and wants to write uh, and to to share Maori stories, that that would be wonderful. Um, you know, we've seen the opposite in Maori TV in the last week. Oh, we want to contain all Maori broadcasting within Maori TV, and them saying, that, you know, and people saying within that world, you know, we don't want to get ghettoize that. We don't want to put it over in one place. I'm, I'm quoting people here, you know. Whereas what the net, what Netflix is saying is take take what we've got and spread it with the world. As long as the income and the money and the and the rights and the IP remains in New Zealand in in Aotearoa, then that's that that's I can't, it's difficult to see the issues there. The hard thing is to think you know Netflix is big. Uh, you know, this big organisation coming down and bearing it down in New Zealand, what would that look like? Would we lose that? I don't think we would. I think that it's definitely worth um, opening up to those conversations. You know, Netflix is such an interesting example of the ladder of investment applied to technology because they started out with this whole other idea. It's that abundance idea, that abundance business model. They bought up a whole bunch of old 
catalogues, you know, including, you know, I think it was Disney even was in that mix. They they bought all this stuff up, they put it out there, and everybody was like, oh wow, I can go and watch a movie from the eighties. That's awesome. And then suddenly they used all the data from all the from what people watched to create series like House of Cards, and now they're going up the the chain. Up the up the level, up the value chain, and now uh, rather than just providing us with with Hollywood blockbusters and 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 big big you know rom coms and thrillers and all the rest of it, they're now from you know maybe turning the other way and going back to the countries which they've sold with us and going tell us your stories what do they look like tell them in your voice because we don't know those stories and we want to share them with the rest of the world so yeah it, it could be quite cool it could be yeah and. Look, I, you know, I, I wear the hat, you know, often of a futurist, and it's, you know, I encourage that sort of thinking mm. and that mindset. It's actually really hard to work out where are we going to be five, ten, fifteen years out when looking at these things, and you don't quite know because there's aspects of, an, you know, Netflix have to make it work, you know, financially. There's, you know, governments oh. that sort of come into into play. Uh, you know, how how does this picture look like? How how local will they get? Will it will it actually be good or bad for some you know for our media locally bad. right yeah. there's yeah. you know they come in and then maybe you know that can that can impact you know other productions there's i mean yeah there's 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 a lot you could delve into probably just on that topic alone we could do you know half a dozen episodes so we will leave it there but absolutely fantastic to have you on the show sarah thank you for having me um any highlights? You've just been back at uh, CIO and Computer World for a couple of weeks. Mm. What's what have you been writing about? Oh well, I mean, one of the I I mean, I don't want to end on a low note, but I think the Health and um, Disability System report that came out last week is two hundred and fifty page, you know, doorstopper. But go to the digital. But you've read section. it all. And no, uh, I haven't. I've only read the digital <laughs> section. I did, I did cheat a little, but I went straight to that. You know, it is disappointing that in 2020 we've got all these fabulous um, you know technologies and everything's kind of moving and there's all sorts of different ideas out there that as a consumer it's still really difficult possibly impossible probably impossible to go into your electronic health record if you can access it and change your address you know there's just so much that the health system just needs to change and it was a shame that this report landed in a week where we had the um the rise in, in the covid health story with the quarantine because actually i think long term once we can get over this awful pandemic long term this report is essential and and it and technology is going to be at the heart of this transformation and um, and certainly from what I'm hearing from the health IT community long overdue they're desperate to get started and um, we need as you know as as the pandemic shown us we need more technology better technology leadership and roadmaps in our health system Agreed. because that's it's not just for those of us who 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 are fascinated and interested by tech it's right across the community we need to bring everybody up with tech we and, do and that that's and, that sort of role of of you know everybody being a futurist right we need yes. more of that sort of mindset within sectors like like health and i mean health 
is a real concern. There's there's two sides, you know, one to how we can you know leverage and utilize you know tech better to bring better outcomes and and you know better health for people more efficiently and so on. Then on the flip side, uh, you know, talking to some of my team over the last week, as we've seen, you know, these, these you know huge uh, cyber cyber attacks, you know, massive one, you know, on Aust- Australia yes, across yes. you know so many aspects of mm. Australia government and business, and then uh, those attacks that we've we've seen from a you know ransomware perspective, and you know we've got a health system that is using you know technology from. You know, a very long time ago, it seems, and so it's not. It's not just that we, we, you know, we can't use technology in sort of standard, sort of modern uh, ways, and that we're missing out on that. It's also that we just don't know how secure any of this stuff is because some of the systems are just so archaic. So lots to be done there. Um, Mm. So we can read a bit about that at CIO. Uh, That's that one's actually computer Computer world. world. But then, uh, but finally, if I would like to end on a positive, had a had a nice article with uh, Lance Wiggs, venture capitalist, which I'm sure your listeners will be well um, across the work that Lance has done over the years. Uh, He talked about the fact that you know recessions are not necessarily the the best time to start a business but when you do start a business they tend to last you know they tend to have endured uh, and so if you are a tech startup if you're thinking about it there's this uh, the Elevate Fund which is this $300 million fund that the government's put up the, um, this funding for it's kind of a fund for venture capitalists that should be out in the market Towards the the end of the year, September, October, November. So those, so the pe- the venture capital funds that secure that funding from the government, and it's almost like a match. They'll put up this, they'll find this amount of money will be matched by the government's fund. They'll be out looking for some pretty cool startups and um, and some interesting companies that they want to invest in. So um, you know, we talked about Peter Beck before. He's another fantastic example of New Zealand tech and New Zealand startups. And so there's 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 certainly support out there for people who want to take opportunities absolutely absolutely well thanks everybody for listening in to the new zealand tech podcast this week we will be back again uh next week and some yeah some interesting um changes we have a new partner to announce for the show uh next week so we'll be filling you uh, we'll be filling you in on that and um, yeah some some more great guests uh, coming up on the weeks ahead so thanks everyone we'll catch you uh, next week back on the New Zealand Tech Podcast and be sure to go to podcast.nz to find some other great podcasts to listen to see ya The New Zealand Tech Podcast brought to you by Gorilla Technology proactive and strategic IT